Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and we are delighted to see you here, to be able to be with you, meet with you in person. We're also delighted for those of you who can still join us uh, remotely, uh, online. We're so happy in uh, being able to be together in whatever ways uh, we can. Uh, it's certainly a unique, uh, unique time for the church, but we're, we're happy that you have taken the time and made the space uh, to, to be with us. We do want to let you know if you're online uh, that there are lots of ways you can connect. There's one that we recommend and it's at our online platform at uh, www.onelifeseattle.org slash live. Uh, there's lots of cool things there. It's got an online connection card. It's got the chat. It's got a Bible verse it's got Bible setup tools, all kinds of stuff for you just to help make that a great experience. So um, if you can get to that, awesome. But whatever way you're joining us, again, we're, <clears throat> excuse me, we're happy uh, that you're able to do so. Uh, let's take a moment and pray. Dear God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. Um, I ask that you would continue to draw us together from wherever we're at, um, both uh, where we're at internally and where we're at in physical space. Um, God, that we celebrate and enjoy being in the presence of the God who can bring people together regardless of those things. Um, and that you are the one thing that can unite all people. And so we ask, God, that you would continue to do that work. Make us of your heart and mind that we would be one with you and one with each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the seventh week of a sermon series that's entitled Embodied Presence, um, and it's a, it's a sermon series that's kind of built on uh, this desire we had to go back and kind of revisit our mission statement, but also not just revisit it, but also sort of evaluate it and look at it, like how does it work in today's world, right? Uh, and, and what does it look like to live out um, our faith today? And so... Real quickly, um, our mission statement, we, when we came up with it, we wanted it to be simple and also unique, and so we just left it at our name, One Life Community Church. Um, and what we explored was that there's one life, this one life in Jesus, the one life in the triune God or the Trinity, and, and it's that life that is sort of the, the, the cornerstone for all life, that is the source of all life, and that there's a fullness of life that exists in participating with God in that life. And, and so in that, one, in that section, we did three sermons. We looked at how that impacts our relationships, uh, what that says about prayer, and then how do we participate um, in, in the world through the life of Jesus. Uh, and then the next section was community, right? That there's a fullness of life that exists in being rooted in um, and serving in our neighborhoods. And so we looked at what it meant to be in a place. What, it, what does that matter uh, that we consider the places we're in? Um, instead of thinking that, that when we come there, there's like been nothing that's existed before us. Um, and then what it means to serve in those places. And then last week, uh, specifically looking at what it means to be hospitable, both as uh, a guest somewhere, but also as a host. And then today, we're going to start the last three weeks of this series, which is going to be looking at church, that there's a fullness of life that's found in being the church. And the way we've kind of always phrased this is the church, nothing more and nothing less. Uh, and so today we're going to be looking at the story, remembering and telling the story. And then over the next two weeks, we're going to look at what it means to worship and what it means to have and be on mission. 
Uh, and these certainly don't cover everything, uh, but they did feel like the ones that were going to be the most helpful for us, trying to participate in God's work in all the spaces and places we're in uh, in these days. Now today, again, I said we're starting this three-week kind of exploration of the church part of our name and mission statement. Again, we've, we've talked about as we are the church, nothing more and nothing less. And what we really mean by that is that the church throughout its history has kind of been trying to find its space, uh, and, and one is sort of staging kind of hostile takeovers uh, that don't have any concern for the places they're in or anything like that. Um, for those of you who are uh, older, maybe if you remember the Blues Brothers movie, um, and the two characters in that, they're on a mission from God. They're getting the band back together, and they're going to go play this show. On the way to the show, though, they destroy anything and everything in their path, right? And that's kind of that model is we're on a mission from God, and whatever we lay waste to in our uh, sort of achieving that doesn't matter. But the other side is that the church sort of becomes the the religious department of some other movement or some other culture, right? And in both of these miss the mark because the church is called to be a participant in God's work in the world, right? And so, and, and I, I wanted to read this section from Isaiah because I think it really helps set the tone uh, for that and also how God tries to keep us uh, on the mark, so to speak. And so this is Isaiah 58, uh, verses 4 through 10. Says this, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. And God's been talking to them about um, how they're carrying out their lives, both on holy days and, and days that they don't consider holy. So, uh, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this kind of, fast, is not this kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. And I want to read that because it, it makes it clear that when the church gets off its mark, God's going to step in and let the church know. But if we're not attending to God, if we're not listening to God, if we're not aware of the story of God, we might miss that. And what we see in the case of Israel is they were about as close to God as you can be in terms of God's interaction with people, and yet they still missed it. They were still getting off track. And so we have to be careful. And so we're going to focus on three aspects of being the church over the next, um, over the next few weeks. And... Um, 
Today we're going to be looking at uh, remembering and telling the story. And why is that important? Um, and uh, Angie, um, I'm seeing on here that uh, some of my slides are missing. So I don't know if they're in there back there. Um, do you have, uh, is the next slide in yours the connection card questions? Awesome. So I'm going to ask you if you can help me. Um, so, uh, so today we're going to be looking at remembering and telling the story. And so I think I have a slide for that that starts that, hopefully. Um, maybe not. So, but the first question we want to be asking, perfect, is what story? What story are we even talking about? Well, and we could just say that's the story of God, right? Um, but even that, for a lot of us, might be kind of vague. What, what does that mean? Is it a small section of the story? Is it the Bible? Is it other books? What, what does the story of God look like? When so far, the way we've summed up the story of God in this series is in this phrase, God is love, right? And we, and we looked at um, a passage from 1 John 4, um, and I think it was verses 7 and 8, where it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And what we looked at in that is that this is God's nature. This isn't a descriptive statement saying, like, God is loving, God is kind, like, like something like that. This is God's very nature. It's all that God is, and everything that God does originates in love because he exists, God exists as three. Right? We talked about this, the reality of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and it's three in one, and it's a community that exists in this unending movement of charity and love towards one another, neither, neither, uh, none of them looking to dominate the other, but somehow constantly moving so that they're all equal and yet unique and different at the same time. Now, one of the problems that we have as humans is we have memory lapses. We don't always remember things. We get caught up in moments and thrown around by life. We don't always remember who we are, who God is. And so we have to keep going back to that story that story that God is love. And what does that mean as we look throughout the entirety of Scripture, the entirety of human history, how do we see that being lived out? Well, when I looked up the word remember in the Bible, it shows up somewhere around 231 times, depending on your translation. Um, and it's in 51 of the 66 books in the Bible. So it's very present it's a very present concept throughout Scripture. Sometimes it's God that's doing the remembering. Sometimes it's humanity that's doing the remembering. But it's clear that throughout Scripture, the idea and the act of remembering is important. So we need to remember the story. And how do we do that? We tell the story. We read the Bible. We engage and participate in our life and see where we see God moving in our lives. And we pray. We communicate with God. And then we keep telling the story. Right? And the church or the people of God have done this in lots of ways throughout human history. There's orally, just retelling the story. Uh, the Israelite culture for a long time passed the stories of God on just through storytelling. <clears throat> 
They learned eventually how to make meaning in places. If we look at Joshua 4, 1 through 7, it says this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, this is right at the point where, um, uh, here, I'll just read it. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And so Joshua called the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. If you remember, we looked back at that story, and there's this moment where God says to Joshua, they're just getting ready to enter the promised land, but they have to cross the Jordan, and it's at flood stage, so it's like a mile wide and really raging, and so there's really no way they could cross it. And so God says, no, but what has to happen is the priests carrying the ark, they have to get their feet in the water. Once their feet are in the water, then the water will stop up and they'll be able to cross. And what was God's asking them to do is participate, just take a step. And so their feet get in the water, does just like it says. And then God says, and now tell the, these, these 12 to go back and get some stones and bring them out and build a monument here so that when your kids ask, anytime people pass, that story is present, right? So there's how they tell the story, they speak it, but then they set up things to remind them. Throughout the history of the church, there's been this way of attending to Scripture. Right? We read in the Bible, the, the, <clears throat> the very earliest of the church, that they're leaning into the words of Scripture. The apostles are teaching out of the Old Testament, because that was their Bible. That's the Bible they had in the very, very early church. And then they would read letters that the apostles or people connected to the apostles had written. And they would teach out of those. They're attending to it. Israel, if you remember in Deuteronomy 6, they were told to, to, to bind the words on their wrists and on their foreheads. And, and that was a way for them to seep into their heart. The words would be ever-present. They were said, talk about them in your homes to your kids when you're on the road. Put them on your gates and your door frames. The word was supposed to be everywhere. There was an attention given to the word. There also throughout the history of people has been singing and music. Right? As soon as they crossed the Red Sea, right, in Exodus, there's this moment where Miriam breaks out into a song of praise, proclaiming that God is great and God has saved them. All throughout the Psalms, we read the lyrics of songs that, that the Israelites would have sung when they were together, when they were traveling to the festivals, the, the big festivals. They would travel into Jerusalem. The people would sing them on the way, sing songs on the way out. We have hymns from the early church. And then over time, we've added new songs, songs we sang this morning. All of that is to remember and tell the story. Even the spaces that we're in, 
are supposed to tell the story. Right? The very first temple of all is creation. We read in Genesis that God creates this space. And then we're told that God puts God's image in that space. God creates humanity in the image of God. And that's what you do with a temple. You build a temple and then you put the image of the God in that temple. So creation, the cosmos, is God's temple. Right? And so that's the space. And we have been given a task of stewarding it and caring for it. And when we look at creation, we should be able to sense the story of God. The next space was the tabernacle. And I've got an image of this. You can kind of see this was designed to be as Israel was wandering and traveling. They could set this up, take it down, move on to the next space, set it up again. But this was a space that they worshiped in. And it was designed and furnished. They had pieces of furniture that they would use, the Ark of the Covenant and all these other things that were designed to tell the story, to remind and help them remember the story. The next space was the temple. This was not a mobile space, but it did the same thing. It functioned in the same way. It told the story. And it was full of furnishings and practices. Both the tabernacle and the temple were were houses for um, not just prayer, but for living out these practices of faith. And they were designed to tell the story. If we keep moving on in church history, church buildings and cathedrals, um, often the whole building was designed and decorated and furnished in ways that would tell the story. Paintings on the walls, murals that would cover large spaces. This is a a picture on the left is of a tapestry um, that that was on the wall of a church. And you can see the size of it. There's a person standing in front of it. These are massive tapestries all with depicting scenes from the story of God. So if you walked in and you couldn't read, the story was presented all over. Right? And then the picture on the right is just the floor. Even the floor, the tiles and the mosaic work on the floor was telling the story. It wasn't just the artwork and the decorations, but the the architecture of medieval churches and cathedrals was designed in such a way to try and tell the story. Uh, The next slide is of uh, Notre Dame, the cathedral in Notre Dame. And one of the fascinating things about these cathedrals and the way they were designed was that they're actually based off mathematical principles um, that, um, and this is just so cool, um, that... uh, in, in math, there are these ratios that, 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 that people felt like these represent perfection, right? And then those get expressed not just in architecture, but also in music. You see there's certain ways songs that are written, certain ways buildings are designed, and there was this belief that what it did was that it got your mind, it facilitated your mind thinking of something bigger than you. And so it was this way to build a space that would, that would get you into a mindset where you could start thinking like about something bigger than you are. And that tells a certain story, right? Now the other side of that, the next slide, this is the church that uh, St. Francis uh, taught out of. 
and it's in uh, Assisi in Italy, and they've actually taken it and built another huge church over the top of it. But this church that St. Francis originally taught out of, um, and St. Francis um, was, was uh, very keen on being, uh, living a life of poverty, um, and, uh, and, and that was kind of one of his ways of expressing his uh, allegiance to God alone and his devotion to God alone. But this church, you could fit probably two of them in this space at least, maybe three. It's not very big. Um, and that tells a different story, right? That for St. Francis, his way of expressing his devotion, his faith to God, was not in walking into a space that was big and huge, but someplace that was like, I don't need really anything. I don't need much of anything. All I need is the Lord. All I need is God. And these are both expressions and ways of telling the story. Recently, um, some of you who know me know that uh, Angie and I, my wife, um, we... uh, bought a house in the summer of 2000 in Wallingford. Um, and <clears throat> we had this vision. I was working as a campus pastor at the time, and we'd had this vision for several years to, um, to, to have college students live with us. Um, and so we were finally able to do that, and we had a bunch of students live with us for 14 or 15 years. Um, and it was fantastic, the amount of life that was lived. Our, our two kids were born and grew up in that house, um, and, and it was just this amazing place full of life. And, and, if I, and I remember the things that we had and, and the structures we had and, the, and the, the sort of monuments that we had that would tell our story. And I recently had the opportunity, we moved out of that house in uh, April of 2017 to move into this neighborhood and be part of this neighborhood. Um, and um, I just a couple weeks ago had an opportunity to go back to the house that we'd lived in in Wallingford. Um, uh, we had some, uh, the, one of the kids who'd grown up in that house in Wallingford, it was built in 2017, or, uh, 1917, and um, one of the kids who grew up there had sent Angie some letters that, that her dad had written about the house and some old photos, and we were, uh, we were giving copies of those to the new person who lives there. And so I'd asked if I could stop by and have a tour. Uh, and, and this person was like, oh, yeah, it'd be awesome. Please come over. And I was really excited. And they've done a ton of really amazing things to this house. But as I walked through, I realized there's none of the monuments, so to speak, that we had put there. And there's some rooms that are still the same, and it's painted the same. Most of the walls are still in the same place. Uh, some of the walls are completely gone. Um, but none of the art, the music, or the life that was there before us, and anything that would really give any sign that we had been there was still there. And this is where I think the most important part of remembering and telling the story comes in. Because it's the people. It's the hearts and minds and the lives of the people. Because I remember a lot of things that happened in that house. And when I was walking through that house, I remembered a lot more. Important conversations. I remember praying with college students after 9-11. Trying to navigate that moment for not just our country, but for, for a group of people who had never really encountered anything like that before. 
There were important conversations, hard times, fun times, laughing times, crying times, praying times, and storytelling times, story-making times, life-living times. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And so we become part of the story. And our lives are to tell the story of God as living stones, living monuments. Our lives, everything that we do, communicates both even to ourselves and to others and those around us. And the very cosmos, the story of God, we are part of that larger story. Jesus is the cornerstone, the piece that everything is built off of. Jesus sets the dimensions and the lines and the way everything's going to move. And as we engage with Jesus, as we follow Jesus and our lives are transformed, we're adding into this living structure that God is building. That whenever someone passes by, they will encounter the story of God. Over the next two weeks, we're going to explore this more as we look at what it means for the church to worship God and then what it means to have purpose or mission in our lives. And to close, I'd like to invite the worship team back up. In a moment, I'm going to ask some questions uh, that will kind of be our conclusion, our wrap-up. Um, I want to let you know the prayer team is going to be um, uh, available again for you to pray with. Um, yeah, and then I'll go through the questions. The worship team will play for a moment, give you a second to reflect on those, um, and then we will uh, we'll close uh, with a song and a benediction. I do want to let you know, though, with these questions, any of the answers you have, if you want to write those on the connection cards, if you're here in person, or if you want to fill them out in the online connection card online, that would be fantastic. We'd love to hear from you all. It's a great way to know, really, and the way we think about it is a way for us from here, from the Spirit, um, because you are part of this too. Um, and so we want to know what you're thinking and, and all that stuff. So first question uh, is, what story are you hearing today? And by today, if you want to take it as right now, that's fine. But today, I mean kind of in this time, right? In, in your day in, day out, you know, moments of life, uh, what story are you hearing? Second, when you look at your own life, do you see God in your story, right? And if so, what feelings or thoughts does that stir up for you? And if not, what feelings or thoughts does that stir up for you? Maybe that's not the way you've ever thought about that before, and maybe, so maybe it's all brand new, or maybe it's something you've done a lot, or maybe it's something you haven't done for a while, right? But when you look at your own life, where do you see God in your story? Third, is there a difference for you when you attend to God's stories, story individually or when gathered together with others? And if so, can you describe that? Like, what is, it, what, what is the difference between engaging with God's story on your own or doing it to gather together? Whether that's gathered together in person or remotely, but is there a difference when, when, when we're present with other people? And then there's one more question that didn't get on there, but that question is, uh, what are you doing individually and as part of a community to both remember and tell the story of Jesus? 
Are you participating in something that allows you to embody that story and live it out? Let's pray. Dear God, I give you great thanks for this day and your presence with us. Father, I pray we would be attentive to where you're moving. Lord, you give us signs and insights all over. I pray our hearts would be open, our eyes would be open, our our person, we would be open in every way that we can to attend to that, to notice that, and then to follow you wherever you're leading us. God, may we live out together what it means to be your followers in this world, that the world could know the story and receive the story of God. And know what it means that God is love. I ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.